Welcome to Teachings and Doctrines of the Book of Mormon podcast class. This is class number 14, where we move on to topic three. Topic one was Jesus in the Book of Mormon. Topic two was that the Book of Mormon was written for our day. So we looked at some specific messages for our day. Topic number three is that the Book of Mormon restores the plain and precious parts of the scriptures lost during the apostasy. Nephi saw that the Bible was edited and that it lost many plain and precious parts. Nephi also saw that the Lord would correct that by speaking to the Nephites and giving them a restoration of those plain and precious parts. And that when the Book of Mormon came forward, Nephi saw that the Book of Mormon would restore many of those plain and precious parts. In this class, we show an example of restored truth, a lost truth to Christianity and to the Bible that has been restored in the Book of Mormon. And that truth is the doctrine of the fall. Restored in the Book of Mormon is the role that Satan played in the fall. What was Satan doing in the Garden of Eden? What was he trying to accomplish? Because we have the Book of Mormon, we understand what he was trying to do. And having that knowledge and understanding what Satan was trying to accomplish helps us understand the doctrine of the fall. So we have been covering two topics. I told you at the beginning, we try and cover three. Topic number one is Jesus in the Book of Mormon. What does the Book of Mormon tell us about the Savior? What new information does the Book of Mormon restore? What plain and precious truth? So we spent several weeks on Jesus in the Book of Mormon. Then topic number two was that the book was written for our day. That the Nephites never had Mormon's gold plates. He didn't write them for the Nephites. He wrote them for us. So everything in them was designed to help us. So what is it that's going on in our society that that's going to help? So we've taken a long look at how the book was written for our day. The war chapters are a pattern of the war that began in heaven that we must win. The days before the second coming are going to be are like the days before his first coming. So Helaman has been a major focus of our attention. We saw in Helaman three major challenges, wars of the heart and the antidote. We talked about uh, secret combinations and the antidote. And then the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about pride and the shortcuts through pride. I want you to remind, I want to remind you that there is, here's the pride cycle. It starts with righteousness. Righteousness brings, bring blessings. Blessings lead us to prosperity and then becomes a critical decision. What do you do in prosperity? Prosperity usually leads to pride. And we saw why, right? We, talked, tell, we did more better persecute, right? Tell me we did more better persecute. So let's do, let's separate these in three colors. All right, here's purple. All right, though, so this one is this normal route right here. Do you remember how it starts with, I have more, therefore I think I'm better. And what do we do? We persecute. Remember the sneeches? We did that, right? More, better, persecute. That leads to pride. Did I spell it wrong? I did, didn't I? Okay. Prosperity, I have more, I'm better. We begin to persecute leads to pride. Pride leads to sin because it's about me. I live my way by my rules and I end up sinning. And we've gone from righteousness to sin. Why? Because he blessed us. That is the dumbest thing on earth. We turn against God because he blessed us. Sin always leads to pain. Not all pain is because of sin. We'll talk about that probably today, maybe next week. But sin or sin leads to pain. Pain causes people to realize they can't do it. They need a higher power. They need someone else's help, which usually humbles them. And they turn to God, which causes repentance and we're righteous. And we saw the whole cycle. So we talked about the antidote 
is the shortcut. And that is when prosperity makes me humble. What if instead of being proud when God blesses us, we're humble when He blesses us? What would we avoid? If I could be humble in prosperity, I would avoid the negative sides of that cycle. And that's what we talked about. There is another shortcut. Let me do a different color. And this is what we talked about last time. Pain sometimes leads people to be angry at God and to turn against Him. Every time Laman had to do something hard, every time Laman was in pain, what did he do? He murmured. And we talked about that one, right? The steps were he felt wronged, which made him wroth, and he wanted to hate and hurt. Remember that discussion? I feel wronged, I'm wroth, and I want to hate and hurt. That's this cycle. That's what happens when pride makes me, or sorry, pain makes me proud. Charlie? Yeah, it doesn't matter what the form is, right? Anger is going to turn me away because anger and humility have a hard time existing in my heart at the same time, don't they? And it, I'm guessing to Lucifer, it doesn't matter to him whom I'm angry at, as long as I can get angry. angry anger is what leads me to pride. And you're right, sometimes it's not God, sometimes it's someone else. For youth, I taught for all the years I taught seminary, I can't tell you how many children, how many students were hating the church, didn't want to participate because they were really angry at mom and dad. And the way to take it out on mom and dad is to hate the things that mom and dad love. And so they turn against God, not because they're angry at God, but they're angry at mom and dad. The one thing we didn't get to, and I wish we could have. We kind of saw it in Nephi. We saw that Nephi allowed his pain to make him more humble. And so what we did last time is the beautiful, the way the Book of Mormon begins is it walks through seven painful experiences, seven painful trials. And what does Laman do every single time? And what does Nephi do every single time? So do you see how the Book of Mormon answers all of those? What are my two choices in pain? Humility or pride. What are my two choices in prosperity? Humility or pride. And I think that's a recurring theme in our lives today and in the Book of Mormon. What you do in prosperity and what you do in pain will shape your character. So that kind of brings us to the end. We could spend a little bit more time on how the book was written for our day. Just wanted to remind you of topic number two. If you're okay, let's move to topic number three. Let me introduce topic number three again by having you open up to 1 Nephi chapter 13. Do you remember how Nephi sees that the, the Bible would lose plain and precious truths? And it frustrates him watching them take plain and precious truths out of the Bible. Turn to 1 Nephi chapter 13. He sees the American colonists. He sees the Revolutionary War. He sees a book in their hand, and it's the Bible. And then he sees that the Bible would lose many plain and precious truths. And because of them, here's the problem. Verse 26, here's the problem. Thou seest the formation of that great and abominable church, which is most abominable above all other churches. They have taken away from the gospel of the Lamb many parts, which are plain and most precious. And because, notice all the becauses. I, I started to notice them. I started to mark them. Look at this one in verse 29. Because of the many plain and precious things which have been taken out. Because... The Bible has lost plain and precious truths. Many do stumble inasmuch as Satan has great power. 
So Nephi was just so frustrated at watching the stumbling of the latter in the latter days because of plain and precious parts. So what's the promise? What's the promise? I will bring them forth again. I will bring them forth. I'll bring them back. I will bring the plain and precious truths back. Much of my gospel will be plain and precious. So what's the plan? The plan is, Nephi, I will manifest myself unto thy seed, and they will write it. And what will be, and they're going to hide it up again. And it'll come forth by the gift and power of God. So Nephi sees when the Book of Mormon comes forward. And the angel says, these last records shall establish the truth of the first. And then number two, tell me one of the main functions of the Book of Mormon. They shall make known the plain and precious things which have been taken away from them. Now, which most, what's the most important plain and precious truth that's going to be restored in the Book of Mormon? That Jesus is the Son of God. But one of the major roles of the Book of Mormon is to restore plain and precious truths, to bring back lost truth. So we're going to take the last three classes that we have, and we're going to see if we can tackle what are some of the lost truths that the Book of Mormon has restored. Now, obviously, the most important ones have to do with Jesus, which was topic number one. We're not going to repeat that. We will not go back to how the Book of Mormon restores truths about the atonement. We are going to tackle first probably the most butchered doctrine of all, the one that the Bible has lost. And because the Bible has lost it, a lot of people don't understand why they need a Redeemer. Ezra Taft Benson. How are you, Ellie? Good, Fantastic. Ezra Taft Benson said this. Whoops, he was not an apostle. Just as a man does not really desire food until he is hungry, so he does not desire salvation of Christ until he knows why he needs Christ. No one adequately and properly knows why he needs Christ until he understands and accepts the doctrine of the fall. and its effect on all humankind. What is perhaps the most butchered doctrine in Christianity, in all of religion? The fall. If you don't understand the fall, then what don't you understand? Why you need Jesus. Brilliant, right? Brilliant strategy for Lucifer. Let me butcher the doctrine of the fall so that people don't understand why I need Jesus. So one of the most important plain and precious truths that have been restored in the Book of Mormon is the doctrine of the fall. So let me see if we can tackle that in two pieces. I don't know if we can get through both tonight, but let's tackle it in two pieces. Let me tackle piece number one, and I don't mean this in any offensive way, but there is no one outside of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that can answer this question adequately. What was Satan doing there? What was Satan doing in the Garden of Eden? What was his goal? What was his motive? If you truly want to understand the fall, you have to understand what he was trying to do, and what happened. We have to know the full story. So let me tell you the full story, and then we'll go find it in the Book of Mormon. Ready? Satan had a two-part plan. Satan had a two-part plan. 
His plan was step A and then step B. Now, step A, I will tell you, is to tempt Adam and Eve to partake of the fruit of the, of the, knowledge of, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's step A. Step A was to partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, that does not destroy the plan of salvation. That has nothing to, that does not destroy the plan. So does the Lord allow him to do that? Does the Lord allow him to tempt Adam and Eve and partake before it's time? Yes. But Heavenly Father would not allow Satan to do part B. He wouldn't allow him to do part B because this would ruin the plan of salvation. So after Satan successfully does this, God stops him. Now, if you don't know what part A is, if the only thing you know is that Satan tempted Adam and Eve, then what do you begin to think in your head? That partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was Satan's plan. And that's what the world believes that partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was bad. And it altered God's plan. And that was Satan's plan. And it shouldn't have happened. That we should be living in Eden. If they hadn't done that, we would be living in Eden instead of this crappy world that we have. That is false doctrine. Partaking of the fruit was the plan from the very beginning. It was the Lord's intention that they partake of that fruit. The forbidden commandment, I would suggest to you, was just temporary. Now, this is where I walk on sacred ground, because in order to fully understand the fall, you have to go to the temple and then you have to read the Book of Mormon. Now, I can talk freely about what's in the Book of Mormon. I don't know that I can talk freely about what's in the temple. But allow me to suggest that the commandment to not partake of the forbidden fruit was a temporary commandment. And eventually that would have changed. And the reason we say that, if you've been endowed, let me speak in code for a minute. Okay? Raise your hand if you've been endowed. Raise your hand if you've not. Okay, those of you who have not, will enjoy my nice little story. The rest of you, I'm speaking in code. Let's suppose I have uh, an 18-year-old son. And I have a 15-year-old son. Now, we have, we have a vehicle that we let our teenagers drive. If, you know, kind of a teenage vehicle, right? But you kind of have to ask mom and dad, mom and dad, can I drive the car? We call it the skunk. It's black and white. It's beautiful. You, you've seen me drive it. Can, you, can I drive the skunk? And you have to ask mom and dad for permission to drive the skunk. And so that's kind of the rule that mom and dad grant permission to drive the skunk. And so my 19-year-old is often saying, dad, can I drive the skunk? Sure, here, take it. So mom and dad go away on vacation for a while, and while they're gone, the 19-year-old is in charge. And the 15-year-old comes to him and says, can I drive the skunk? And my 19-year-old lets him. My 19-year-old lets the 15-year-old drive the car. No license, no permit. He gives him the keys to the car, and he wrecks the car. So mom and dad come home, and get mad at home. The 19-year-old. And the 19-year-old gets mad that he gets in trouble. The 19-year-old gets mad because what does he say? You do it all the time. You give keys to the skunk all the time. I'm just doing what you did. I'm just giving keys to the car. And he gets mad. Now, those of you who understand what I'm saying, if the 19-year-old got in trouble and gets mad that he got in trouble, what does that mean? Someone else did what the 19-year-old did and didn't get in trouble. That's why he's mad. 
You can't get me in trouble for doing the same thing that someone else did and didn't get in trouble. Do you see what I'm saying? Which would suggest in all the other worlds, what happened in the Garden of Eden? In all the other worlds, what happened in the Garden of Eden? Heavenly Father handed the fruit to Adam and Eve and said, now it's time to partake. And they fell. Satan was doing it the wrong way before it was time. And that was the problem. I, I testify that it was not the Lord's intention to keep that forbidden forever. Let me give you an example, okay? I'll use Shelby. True or false, Shelby has been commanded to multiply and replenish the earth. Does anyone disagree? True or false, Shelby has been commanded to multiply and replenish the earth. Yes or no? We all agree she's been commanded? She's doing a lousy job. She is doing a lousy job. Do you agree that she is not keeping the commandment? Ah, there it is. No one has a problem with her not being for, no one has a problem with the contradiction in the commandments, right? Because why? What do you know? It's a timing thing. And will there come a time where the act to obey the first commandment is not forbidden for Shelby? Do you see the pattern? So I would suggest Satan's plan was to get them to partake of the tree of knowledge before it was time. And there's the transgression. But if you don't understand that, what do you think the transgression was? Partaking of the tree. And that that was a bad thing. And that this world was not intended. And that is false doctrine. All along, the Lord intended them to partake of the knowledge of good and evil. Just not yet. And Satan took advantage of that not yet and tempted them to partake of this tree. Now, what was part B? Because God stops him. He won't let Satan do part B. The Lord allowed part A because it doesn't ruin the plan. But part B would ruin the plan. So the Lord steps in and stops part B with cherubim and the flaming sword. But if you don't understand what part B is, you don't fully understand the doctrine of the fall. So what was part B of Satan's plan in the Garden of Eden? Now we turn to the Book of Mormon. Turn to Alma chapter 12 and 42. Alma 12, Alma 42. Alma 12, Alma 42. All right, let's start in 12. Can anyone tell me the setting? Anyone tell me the setting of 12? This is Zeezrom. This is Ammoniah, right? Zeezrom is trying to trap Ammon or Alma and, and Amulek into teaching false doctrine. So at the end of chapter 11, what did Amulek teach powerfully in chapter 11? Resurrection. And what's going to happen after we're resurrected? We will live forever. So Amulek teaches that we're going to live forever. So Zeezrom says in chapter 12, whoa, 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 what did you just say? Because I thought God stopped them from living forever. I thought he put cherubim and the flaming sword in place so that they wouldn't live forever. And you're now telling me that we're going to live. Do you see what Zeezrom's trying to do? He's trying to trip him up. But the question was, sorry, here. The question is here. 
What does the scripture mean which saith that God placed cherubim and a flaming sword on the east of the Garden of Eden, lest our first parents should enter and partake of the, tree, the fruit of the tree of life and live forever? And thus we see that there was no possible chance that they should live forever. He's confusing Adam and Eve living forever and resurrection living forever, which are two separate doctrines. But he's trying to trip up a prophet. Now Alma says, this is what I was going to explain. Now we see that Adam did fall by partaking of the forbidden fruit, according to the word of God. And thus we see that by his fall, all mankind became a lost and a fallen people. Now, here we go. What's part B? Verse 23. Anyone want to read? Who wants to read? Ashley? And now behold, I say unto you that if it had been possible for Adam to have partaken of the fruit of the tree of life at that time, there would have been no death, and the, and the word would have been void, making God a liar. For he said, If thou eat, thou shalt surely die. Okay, what was part B? Part A is to trick them into partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil before it's time. Now they've transgressed. Now do what? Rush over and get them to partake of the tree of life. That was Satan's plan. There's two trees in the Garden of Eden. The tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. What does this tree do? Starts mortality. Exits Eden and starts mortality. What does this tree do? Makes them immortal. So while they're in Eden, can they partake of this tree freely? You can have as much of that as you want because you're already eternal. No big deal. Eat of much of this. But the moment they partook of this, in their sins, because it's too early, they did it before it's time. Now they've transgressed. So what happens if they rush over and partake of this and become immortal again? First of all, number one, who does it take out? Who does it take out if they partake of this tree? It takes out God. Satan made God a liar, and we just got God out of the plan of salvation because he lied. He said they would die, and they didn't die because they partook of this tree. So Satan gets God out of the plan. But more importantly, what does this plan do to us? If Adam and Eve partake and now have a transgression and then rush over and become immortal, what does that do to us? Now, pause in chapter 12. We're going to come right back, but I want you to go to Alma 42. Now, what's the setting of 42? Wayward son, Corianton, trying to understand justice and life and, and the purpose of life. And so Alma teaches the same doctrine. Go to chapter 5. Alma chapter 42, verse 5. And notice he's going to teach his, his, his son the same thing. If Adam had put forth his hand immediately and partaken of the tree of life, what would it have done? Say that. Say more. Say more, Gwen. That is the lost doctrine of the fall. That what did God intend this life to be? What did God intend from the words here? I did the blank version so you can help me. What are, what's the key word here? What did God intend this life to be? Space for repentance. If Satan goes forward, if he does this, if he, if he gets them to partake early and rushes them over and they partake of the tree of life, there is no space for repentance. There is no space for repentance. 
And God would not allow that. He would not allow us to lose the chance to and 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 you see it? I'm not going to take away your chance to screw up and learn from it. That's what this life was supposed to be from the very beginning. I'm not going to let you lose the chance to learn and grow and make some mistakes, even some big ones. And realize you don't want to do that anymore and change. I'm not going to hold you accountable immediately after your transgression. I'm going to go back to verse five. Tell me what God did. I think this is one of the most important phrases. I think every one of you need to hear this with your soul. God did what? Tell me what Heavenly Father did in the Garden of Eden. I'm, I think the key word is this word right here. Heavenly Father granted you a probationary state. He granted you time to learn and to grow. And you don't have to be perfect. You were never intended to be perfect. He granted you a probationary state. I want to highlight this. He granted you a probationary time. Now we need to talk about that word probation because unfortunately in English, in the United States, it's taken on a negative term, right? What's someone on probation? Prove that you can be here. Prove that you're good enough to live in society. That's the very opposite. Let me give you a different probation. Every single one of you that have been hired by a company have been put on probation. In what sense? Why are you nodding, Emma? In what sense? And we know what? Tell me what we know about you. Let me give you an example, okay? Um, you just get a job at, uh, what would be a complicated place? Swig, okay? You get a job at Swig. No, no, let's do, let's do um, Zupas. You get a job at Zupas. And you have to know every single salad, every single sandwich, every single combination, and you start, and on your first day, you are right there at the counter, and if you screw up once, you're fired. No one does that, right? Because what do we do? We know this is a complicated job, and so when we hire you, we do what? We put you on probation, which means it's okay if you mess up. One time I got a job, and they, the, the phrase they used was, I was in nesting. And I love that phrase. I'm a little bird in a nest and I'm not ready to fly. And while you're in nesting, there are certain things at the company that if you did, it was instant termination. If you did that, you're instantly terminated. It's called an auto fail. They had auto fails. But if you're in nesting, guess what? You can't auto fail. You can't autofail when you're nesting because do you see the term? Do you see the idea of what this is? Now that concept is what God granted. The concept of screwing up and learning. It's okay. Now again, the only way that works, the only way that works is if what? Is if we have a redeemer. Do you see why we need him? If we don't have a redeemer, we don't have a probationary state. But how important was it to God that you have a probationary state? Now let's, let's make this applicable. When do you and I partake of the tree of knowledge? If this was the door that opened up mortality, when do you and I partake of the tree of knowledge? Birth, okay? Birth. When do you and I partake of the tree of life? and become immortal, not death, right? Not death. When do I partake of this tree? 
Now, what did Heavenly Father just grant me? Into? In, not in turning. I can't. I got to be done here, right? What did Heavenly Father grant me? Even into the spirit world. When will I stand before God and be accounted? When do I have to be who God wants me to be? Resurrection morning. Not today. Which Bryce Dunford will God judge? 16-year-old Bryce Dunford? Will God judge 16-year-old Bryce Dunford? Heavens no! 20-year-old Bryce Dunford? 25-year-old Bryce Dunford? Which Bryce Dunford will Heavenly Father judge? Which one will stand before God and be held accountable? The one who stands in front of him on that day. So in what sense does he judge the 16-year-old? In what sense does he judge the 16-year-old? What did I learn? How did I grow? What decisions did I improve? What did the mistakes at 16 teach me that made me into the man I will be on resurrection morning? What has God granted me? A probationary state. He does not expect perfection. He has granted a whole lot of leniency. That's what this life is. And the symbol of that is cherubim and the flaming sword. He would not let Satan take it away from us. Do you see the doctrine? Do you see the true doctrine? that is misunderstood in the world, even in the church? What is this life intended to be? Let's go back to chapter 12. I wanted to show you the same thing taught in chapter 12. Go back to chapter 12. Look at the very next verse. So we read 22, 23, 24. Now go to verse 20. We read 23, now go to 24. And we see that death comes upon mankind, and we see the death which is spoken of by Amulek, which is the temporal death. Nevertheless, there was a space. May I suggest this is a critical word. There was a space granted. In which he might repent. We were granted. A space to repent. This life became what? A probationary state. Do you see the doctrine? Now, can I give you a theory? Here's my theory. Satan wasn't allowed to do this one, is it? was he, right? So I think he came up with an alternate. I truly believe Satan came up with an alternate part B. If I can't take away all of their probationary states, I'm going to take away as many as your, of yours as I can. I'm going to whisper in your ear, and tell you that you have to be perfect so that you take your probe. Sorry, am I making you nervous? I'm sorry, Shelby. I'll do Thomas. I'm going to whisper in your ear that you have to be perfect. If he can't take away our probationary state, he's going to try and convince you to take your own away. To expect yourself to be perfect. To expect what God does not expect of you. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but your biggest anguish in life is that you're not what you think you should be. Which means you've done what? 
you have taken away your probationary state. And you expect of yourself something that God does not expect of you. What does he expect of you? To learn, to grow, to get smarter, to get better, to learn from your mistakes, to make them, and then to learn from them. We don't have a redeemer because we aren't perfect. We have a redeemer because we're not expected to be. That is the doctrine that the Book of Mormon has restored. And may I suggest it is a doctrine that even members of the church don't believe. And they don't grant themselves a probationary state. Thomas. Um, so about the cherubim and the flaming sword thing. So that was just placed in the way of the tree of life and then they chased them out of the Garden of Eden? It, would, it was placed around this tree so they could not partake of it. And symbolically, it's placed around that tree so that you, not, you and I know that I don't have to be held accountable today. Today is not the day. There's a day coming, but it's a long ways away and I have time to grow. I have time to learn and to grow and I need to grant myself that time because God has. I was just thinking with the granted word and how that's kind of similar to like grants and stuff in school. How Beautiful. Oh. Yes. You can't. I'll help you. Beautiful. You can't do this. Let me help you. That's what this life is. Do you understand what Heavenly Father intended this world to be? He intended this world to be a probationary state where we make mistakes. And that's why there's a Redeemer, so that we can make mistakes and be redeemed from them. You were never expected to be perfect. Stop holding yourself to a standard God doesn't hold you to. And stop doing it to other people. You need to grant yourself a probationary state and you need to grant other people a probationary state. Just because they made a mistake doesn't mean you should hold them accountable for it and never allow them to change. This life was intended to be a probationary state where we learn. And the only thing that matters is the person standing in front of God on judgment day. Not today. Let me share with you two book of, well, one book of Mormon, one doctrine and covenant scripture that I think illustri illustrate this idea. Let's go to the olive tree, the allegory, the Zenos's allegory of the olive tree in Jacob chapter five. Go to the allegory of the olive tree in Jacob chapter 5. Now, this is an allegory where we are all compared to a tree. We collectively and we individually. And we're compared to a tree and he's trying to help the tree. And I want you to notice how many times he says the phrase. I didn't mark it in this version. We'll do that another day. But how many times does he use the phrase, it grieveth me to lose this tree? It grieveth me to lose this tree. Now, let's read this verse and you tell me what kind of God Heavenly Father is. What does Heavenly Father truly expect of me? Verse 65. Okay, what kind of God is this? Because I guarantee the God you have in your head and the God of Jacob chapter 5 are not the same God. So throw the one in your head out. What kind of God is this? Remember, he's trying to get this tree to grow good fruit, right? And the, keep, the tree keeps growing bad fruit. And there comes a point where the whole tree has gone bad. The whole freaking tree has gone bad. And he still doesn't give up on the tree. He still prunes it. And then he says this. 
as they begin to grow, you shall clear away the branches which bring forth bitter fruit according to the strength of the good and the size thereof. Now listen. You shall not clear away the bad thereof all at once. Lest the roots thereof should be too strong for the graft and the graft thereof shall perish and I lose the trees of my vineyard. You don't clear away the bad all at once. Only as the good grows. He says it again in verse 60. It grieveth me that I should lose the trees of my vineyard. Wherefore, ye shall clear away the bad according as the good shall grow. What kind of God is that? What kind of God is that? Again, let me say it again. The God in your head and the God that this describes, are they the same? I don't think they are. I think you believe the false doctrine. I still think you haven't been taught the true doctrine of the fall. That God has granted us a probationary state in which we're supposed to grow. Let's do another one. Section 117 of the Doctrine and Covenants. One of my favorite verses in Scripture. Um, Oliver Granger was given an assignment that he could not complete. He was asked to sell the properties of the First Presidency after all the righteous saints left Kirtland and the only people left were the apostates. Are the apostates going to pay top dollar for the properties of the First Presidency? Oliver Granger is not going to succeed. But listen to what Heavenly Father says and you tell me what kind of God we have. Again, I say unto you, I remember my servant, Oliver Granger. Behold, verily, I say unto him that his name shall be had in sacred remembrance from generation to generation forever and ever. Let him contend. Let him try. Let him keep going. Let him keep going. And tell me what this word is. What isn't this word? If. It doesn't say if. When he falls, he shall rise again. Why? Tell me what kind of God we have. His sacrifice shall be more sacred unto me than his increase. I guarantee every one of you measure increase. Sweet Ellie back there has become one of the most impressive people I've ever taught. Home from a mission not too long ago and worried that she's not where she should be. I'm not doing all that I should be. I'm just speaking hypothetically because she is. But isn't that true? You came home from your mission and now you look at my life and what are you worried about, Emma? I'm not good enough. I'm not where I should be. What are you measuring? Increase. And tell me what he measures. He measures how many times you get up. He doesn't measure where you should be if you hadn't fallen. He does not measure increase. He measures the number of times you get up when you fall. You are doing far better than you think you're doing. If you will grant yourself a probationary state and stop beating yourself up if you make mistakes along the way, you're supposed to. That's why we have a Redeemer. You're already taking the Redeemer out because you're saying, oh, well, I, I'm supposed to do it without him. No, you're not. You're not supposed to do it without him. You're supposed to learn and grow and be a little bit smarter today and do a little bit better. Do you see the doctrine? 
Now, can I ask a, a question? How many people in the world believe this doctrine? How many people in the church believe this doctrine? Not many. Do you see the gift of the Book of Mormon in restoring plain and precious truths? Cherubim and the flaming sword are the message that God intended us to have time. Even in the next life after we die. How many years away is this? At least what? At least a thousand. At least a thousand. I have time. Now don't squander it. Don't abuse it. Don't procrastinate it. All of those are Book of Mormon messages, aren't they? But grant yourself time. Oh, if I could ask one thing of you. Stop beating yourselves up. Because you're not good enough. God does not measure increase. He measures the number of times you get up. He has granted you a probationary state. You're all still in nesting. There's no auto fails. Of that doctrine, I bear testimony. And pray you'll believe it. That you have been granted a probationary state. Grant yourself one. Grant your spouse one. Grant your children one. Grant everyone you know one. Because we're just here to learn and grow. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for joining us for Teachings and Doctrines of the Book of Mormon podcast class. This has been class number 14, where we introduce topic number three on lost truths restored in the Book of Mormon. We have been talking about the doctrine of the fall. Will you ponder this week and maybe discuss with a friend or someone in your life or with someone in the class or with me myself how you are going to grant yourself a probationary state? What are you going to do when Satan whispers in your ear that you have to be perfect, that mistakes aren't tolerable? How are you going to combat that? How are you going to remind yourself that this life was granted to us as a probationary state and that we are granted a time to learn and to grow and to make those mistakes? What are you going to do to make sure you grant yourself and the people in your life a probationary state.